Hi, this is Better Red Than Dead, a literature podcast from a left perspective. I'm Tristan. I'm Katie. Megan is on maternity leave and we'll be back in a few weeks. Today we're talking about Great Expectations, which is Charles Dickens' 1861 novel about an orphan named Pip, who, despite being so named, <laughs> has, he's got, he has great expectations. Uh, I, yeah, hey. I, I'm sorry. Uh, kill me. Uh, <laughs> no, no, it, it is about an orphan, an orphan named Pip, uh, who, despite decidedly prowl origi- origins, um, is bred by a mysterious benefactor to be a gentleman. Also, this is the novel with Miss Havisham, um, who we're definitely going to talk about. Uh, Hell yeah. Pip gets pretty womaned <laughs> by a wealthy, mysterious benefactor. Uh, and he does not kiss on the mouth. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that actually, that's a pretty good synopsis. We can just skip the summary. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so, okay. So Katie, I, I you know, uh, as, as the other Dickens stand on this podcast, um, why, why did you want to read Great Expectations? I'm going to say it again. If I didn't say it last time. Wait, no, I I think I didn't say Big Dickens energy last time, did I? I uh no, you did make other Dick Dickens jokes, but not okay. that one. So you can totally use that one. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> well the, the well the foremost reason is Big Dickens energy. <laughs> Thanks for talking through that with me. The reason I wanted to read this book was because it speaks to my soul. Uh, I'm a bit of a type A alpha personality. Think like, you know, think think Tracy Flick, think Elle Woods, <laughs> Legally Blonde. Uh, and I have certain expectations, and some have called them great expectations. I think they're pretty reasonable. They include, but are not limited to the following. Number one, don't leave trash in my car. I've already filled it with trash. And it's, it's my lease, so my rules. And number two, do not startle me on purpose for any reason. <laughs> if you do, I will reach my hand up your ass and find something in there to wear as a monocle <laughs> while I do a Dickens-type accent. And it's going to be dealer's <laughs> choice. And I greatly expect that you will not enjoy this process. <laughs> I, they're, they're very reasonable with with uh, with both. Um, I, I I also do not like to be startled. Um, and I I will leave uh, as nameless uh, these family members, but I do know one family member, fairly near relation, uh, left a meatball from a Wawa meatball sub in another family's car. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just the one lonely just the one meatball? lonely meatball under the seat. Yep. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. Oh boy. Well, I I greatly expect that will never happen to me (laughs) because due to my rules. Um, And speaking of great expectations, this book absolutely fucking rules. Mm. Pip is a stone cold weirdo who we get to walk through this world with. And it's awesome. A child named Pip who grows up to be an adult named Pip. (laughs) I mean, come on. (laughs) <laughs> yeah come on pip is actually contractually barred from not being pip we'll we'll get to that yeah there there is the one point that i want to touch upon because i know we'll never talk about this there's a point where his friend who's named like holly pocket yeah. or whatever yeah. Ho- herbert pocket says um i'm good i will call you wolfgang <laughs> because your eyes remind me of the sea 
Uh, and that's a, but like just the, but that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. that guy, that guy uh, needs nicknaming lessons from George W. Bush because if he would have chosen Turd Blossom <laughs> to call it, it would have stuck. <laughs> Final thing. One more thing about the expectations. You you may think that the title "Great Expectations." is something like an elegant way to sum up the feelings of hope and sadness that are just all part of growing up and becoming a person in the world. But if you think that, you would be wrong. The phrase great expectations appears about 237 (laughs) times in this book. Yep. When Pip inherits the money, the dude who tells him that is like, uh, sir, I want to inform you of your great expectations. <laughs> and then after that, Pip's, Pip goes to his family and goes, guys, I have great expectations. <laughs> have you heard about my expectations? They are great. And then he's like, oh, no, my great expectations. Are they going to be less great than I thought they were? Oh, no. Uh, the, the energy is truly, speaking of energy, uh, I almost dumped a delicious, healthy, doctor-approved, uh, they don't sponsor us, but they they could and should, monster energy drink <laughs> on my copy of Great Expectations and screamed, ah, great expectations. <laughs> And at that moment, something so special happened to me. It felt like I walked through the back of a magical wardrobe into the land of Narnia to be protected and loved my whole life by a Jesus lion. I felt like I was inside the book, (laughs) screaming great expectations. (laughs) Emotionally, it felt like I listened to the hour-long supercut of Jason Derulo saying Jason Derulo and his songs. Um, yes, that really exists. Yep. And uh, I tried to get Tristan to watch it, and now he won't speak to me, so I don't know how we're going to get through I, this I, podcast. I, but. I did watch it, and I was skeptical at first. I was like, oh, yeah, this is kind of like uh, this is kind of like Great Expectations. Yeah, it's like Pip's like, it's like oh, I got to go to the bathroom. I have great expectations for the shit that's not to <laughs> 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 I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, okay. Um, yeah, so uh, what can I say? I love Ethan Hawke uh, and Gwyneth Paltrow, per- particularly in this era where she's a real mogul of scamming other bougie dipshits. Um, oh, you're a goop uh, guy. A total goop guy. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the 98 film uh, really spoke to me, um, actually, which is not true at all. Uh, I, I got into a car accident the day I went to see that film. So that film and car accident are forever <laughs> all together. My oh, brain. no. I mean, everyone was fine, but it's just still, it's like, you know, um, and I think that that might have been the case, even if I hadn't seen the, you know, if I, if that hadn't happened, I would have, it was just, yeah, it, the film's not good. Um, <laughs> we wouldn't be here today. One flap of a butterfly's wing. If you hadn't been in that car accident. Exactly. A, about great expectations, we wouldn't be sitting here podcasting today. <laughs> Uh, I know it. Tre- and actually, it's, uh, that thematically works with uh, this book, as as we'll say, uh, as we'll see. So, as I said on our Christmas Carol podcast, I am a fan of Dickens. Um, you know, again, he is lib AF, but I also think there's, you know, usually a, a fairly decent and perceptive social critique 
um, and one that is attuned to material conditions at the heart of a lot of his novels. This one, too, uh, even though I'm not sure that my reasons for wanting to think about this book are as commie as what uh, what Dickens gives a shit about when he wrote it, or at least not entirely. Like for me, I, I've always been really into the post-colonial and class implications of this novel. There's this pivotal character named Magwitch who is a convict. Um, that gets transported to Australia. He makes like a ton of money there. And and with that money, he's able to have this tremendous impact over Pip's life in ways that Pip finds deeply unsettling. So there's simultaneously this fa- uh, this fascination with the colony and empire as spaces of kind of like self-fashioning or refashioning. But also like it exp- the novel explores it, like uh, the, this fear of, of what that kind of you know class permeability means as to the stability of class bearers and power structures back in the metropole, um, which I think is really mm-hmm. sort of fascinating. You know, and, and uh, obviously, uh, you know, that that's like not the reason to be hostile to imperial oppression, I think. Uh, but but I think that this novel is is a way that, that fronts empire, even as it stays focused on the on the metropole. Uh, the Australian novelist Peter Carey, he, he wrote um, in, in the 1990s, a, a reworking of Great Expectation from uh, called Jack Mags. It's from Magwitch's perspective, um, which I think is uh, so really kind of captivating novel. And and I wanted to come back to Great Expectations for, for a long time. Um, I do think that the novel's exploration of the unintended consequences of just stuff that happens around your life um, and the unknowability or, or illegibility of forces affecting our lives as individuals is compelling and, and disturbing in ways that are pretty cool. And, you know, I think we should all be so lucky as to have a wealthy ex-felon transport benefactor to give us lots of money. Best, <laughs> best case scenario. Yeah, exactly. Go, go off to New South Wales, become a millionaire and give it all to me. Uh, <laughs> It's not some regular rich loser. It's a fucking cool ass ex-convict who made his money in the land of Australia where there's scary Exactly. Animals. And not like he's a white collar criminal, right? He, he's like, you know. <laughs> he's doing wire fraud. No, he's, he's committed. He's, he's, you know, convicted for like cool crimes. And then he goes off and, you know, becomes rich. So anyway. Yeah. I, I just want to say one thing before we continue. Yeah. And this is just to yes. you. No one's listening. Yes. Every everybody, cover your ears because this is just for Tristan. You've mentioned that Dickens is a lib, mm-hmm. and that but that you like him yes. anyway. And I just want to tell you that that's okay, <laughs> and that you don't have to feel bad about that because sometimes you got to get that Dickens. <laughs> oh, you sure do. You sure do. Yeah. We, we we all yeah. do. Okay. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about uh, Miss Havisham and uh, and Estella and the novel sort of gender politics. Uh, we are going to be talking about uh, Australia and the the figure of the returned uh, transport and and also carceral structures generally. We're going to be talking about the novel's understanding of childhood, um, and we are going to be talking about great expectations uh, and what that means and how it's not as good as it might sound. <laughs> Okay, so I will do the summary. It is long. It is fucking bonkers. Um, it, I, I'm trying to. I'm trying to tell you what is in a Dickens novel. So bear with me. Okay. Um, so we we open the novel with Philip Pirrip, or or Pip, uh, because he couldn't pronounce Philip Pirrip as a child, um, and he's just kind of morosely hanging around his parents and like 20 siblings graves they're all dead in the kent marshes in the southeast of england because pip you see in in true victorian fashion yes and, and even truer dickensian fashion he's an orphan right 
<laughs> so, and we have this quote for, I think it's the first page of the novel. As I never saw my father or mother and never saw any likeness of either of them, for their days were long before the days of photographs, my first fancies regarding what they were like were unreasonably derived from their tombstones. <laughs> <laughs> I love that oh, it's shit. Great. Little goth. Oh, I know. Child. No, and, I, and, I, and I'm laughing about it right now. It is, you know, but I, I like, you know, my, as I'm reading it, like the hairs on the back of my neck are kind of standing up. Uh, but okay. So, so, so Pip is being raised by his deeply insane and abusive sister and her big, goofy, lovable husband, Joe Gargery. While out in the marshes, uh, first chapter of the novel, Pip meets a convict. Uh, whose name that we, we will later learn is Magwitch, although we don't know that for, for quite a while. And Magwitch has escaped from the Hulks, uh, which are these prison ships off the coast. You know, he's hungry. He needs to get the leg irons off. He's, he's hangry. Angry, yes. And he's basically like, look, kid, I will murder your entire fucking family if you don't bring me some food. <laughs> and oh, shit, what's that? Your your father, brother person is a blacksmith? Well, you better bring me a file, too. Um and, and Pip is freaked out as as one would be, um, and and he basically does what he's told. So the next morning he comes back to the marches, uh, the marshes rather, uh, and he has uh, bread and booze and a file for Magwitch, and Magwitch is actually pretty pretty grateful for this. One really funny thing about that is um, that when he comes back, the the story he uses to terrify Pip is about that he has a companion with him who's gonna like gonna take his intestines out and wear them as a tie to a fancy mm-hmm. event if like he doesn't give him the food and file and shit. And he's like, even if I die, somebody will yeah, come and get yes. you. Yeah. And so he brings all this food to him and sees him eating it. And Pip is like, oh, sir. Have you thought about sparing some of the food for your murderous <laughs> yeah, companions yeah, exactly. who threatened yeah, to kill exactly. me? I, I worked up ever so much of a hunger murdering poke. Also, <laughs> 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 uh, I don't think folks is a British colloquialism, but whatever. Fuck it. I'm an American doing a British accent. Uh, <laughs> I don't know whatever the fuck I do. That's no, good. It's good. It's, it's, it's good oh. as mine. I mean, <laughs> Um, yeah, no, that happens. That it is kind of hilarious. So soon afterwards, uh, Christmas Day is still on the first of three very long volumes. The constables show up at the Gargery's house. Uh, they're looking for Magwitch, and Pip is terrified that they're looking for him. But really, they just want to see Joe uh, since he's a blacksmith, and they have they found these broken manacles. So then, so Joe helps him out, and then Pip, Joe, and these other chuds whose names you don't need to know join the search party, and they find Magwitch beating the ever living shit out of this other escape prisoner <laughs> like like he, <laughs> like he gives absolutely no shit that he's about to be recaptured he just wants this motherfucker dead and and so the cops catch both of them pip importantly here shows no signs that he knows anything about magwitch which magwitch notices he's like all right you're 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 a solid guy kid again th- this will be important later although you and if you're a good reader you should probably expect this is going to be important later but you don't technically know that um, so all right i'm just going to try to breeze through some years here okay pip Soon, at some point, gets invited to the house of this eccentric rich woman named Miss Havisham. You know, one of one of Dickens' most famous characters. Miss Havisham has been wearing the same wedding dress for decades. Full on agoraphobic, hasn't seen the sunlight in decades. Has a giant rotted wedding feast in the middle of her dining room table. Because you see, Miss Havisham was left at the altar. In case you didn't get that, uh, <laughs> she she ordered. Every woman's yeah, nightmare. Every woman's nightmare. Worst thing that could possibly happen. Uh, orders all the clocks in her house to be stopped in mourning because you get it. Time stopped for her when she was left at the altar. I I, I do love Chuck Dickens, but he was he was never exactly one for subtlety. <laughs> uh, so so Miss Havisham, we find out, has this adopted daughter, Estella. 
Um, and she's basically re- uh, reared Estella to reap vengeance on on men. Uh, it's pretty baller, I have to say. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but but so Pip has basically been invited there to play with Estella and just get relentlessly bullied by her for the enjoyment of Miss Havisham, thus starting this immensely creepy Dom sub thing in childhood. What not Dom sub thing is not creepy. Tried to get children to do it. That is the creepy part. Yeah, you know? yeah no, we don't. No, we we don't say we don't. We, that's not what we do. No. Don't no no endorsing. Exactly. Um, yes. Okay, so uh, Pip uh, very quickly falls uh, in love with Estella. A couple other things worth mentioning. Um, one day at Miss Havisham's, a, quote, pale young gentleman, that's the character's name at this point, um, about Pip's yes, <laughs> about Pip's age, uh, challenges Pip to a boxing match, and Pip just beats the fuck out of him. Also, Pip has become indentured to to Joe, uh, who he does love, but he finds kind of bo- uh, he finds the apprenticeship boring, and you know Estella has nagged him about it so bad uh, that he doesn't think Joe is fancy enough. <laughs> Another thing that happens: uh, there's this other blacksmith named Orlek that Joe employs, and at some point, Pip's sister uh, is found beaten so badly she can no longer speak, and they're pretty sure that Orlek did it. Um, although that doesn't get resolved until much later in the novel. All after all of this stuff happens, uh, at some point, Bo, Pip is like doing the apprenticeship thing, like cranky and you know, sort of whiny, and 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 suddenly this this lawyer, Mister Jaggers, who we know is Miss Havisham's lawyer, shows up saying that a very rich and secret person uh, is adopting Pip to make a, him a gentleman on the condition that Pip will always call himself Pip and will never ask who his benefactor is. Pip is fine with this because look, all he wants to be is a fancy lad. That that's it, you know. <laughs> but, <laughs> That's like those weirdo contracts people try to do when they get married that are like, if you don't stay a size four for the rest of your natural life, uh, the prenup says you get nothing. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it, exactly. It is. Yeah, it's it's like a, it, it is a it has a very sort of like weird ass rich person pre pre, you know, prenup thing to it, which is I mean, look, so, OK, Pip assumes that the benefactors Miss Havisham. And I think that's actually a part of it. it's like this is the kind of shit that a really rich weirdo asshole would write, you know. Yeah, no, they're, they're just bizarro tyrants. No, totally. And and I mean, the fact that she invited him to her house to be bullied by her, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it all fits. Like, Pip is not dumb for thinking that Miss Havisham is behind all of this. So, again, going to try to breeze through all of Volume 2. Uh, <laughs> no, breeze on uh, through. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, otherwise we'll never get through it. Pip moves to London. Uh, he becomes best friends with the pale young gentleman uh, who we find name is Herbert Pocket, uh, another ex- exceedingly Dickensian name. Um, and, and it turns out that Herbert is a relation of Miss Havisham. That's why he was the house that one time. Pip and Herbert lad it the fuck up. Uh, and, and, you know, Pip, Pip, yeah, as I said, he's confident Miss Havisham is the benefactor. And all of this is happening because um, he's being groomed to marry Estella. He be- turns out to be a huge dickhead to Joe. Um, like, they basically only see each other at this point when Pip's sister dies. And also Pip gets really sick and Joe who comes to London to like nurse him. Um, and otherwise Pip just like refuses to have anything to do with him. He, tr- he treats him like he just got engaged to a celebrity. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And I mean, I, yeah. And in, in Pip's world, I guess he kind of thinks that he has, even though Estella repeatedly tells him over and over and over again, we're not going to marry. I have not been raised to have anything like recognizable emotion. 
happens. Like this is just going to end very badly. Like you, what is wrong with you? But he's like, ah, yep. Mm-hmm, this is all part of the plan to get us married. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Reverse psychology. Yeah, to, I know about this. My yes, name is uh, right, right. Yeah. Um, not not taking not not taking no for 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 an answer. Uh, just you know, I'm not generally not not cool or smart. Okay, volume three. Okay, <laughs> so it was def- volume yeah, finally, three. volume three, the the the, the Victorian triple decker. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was definitely not Miss Havisham at all. It was Mag. No, what? I know it was Magwitch, who, under the pain of a death sentence, has returned to Britain from Australia. Um, so he got transported to Australia after he got recaptured. He got extremely rich there, and he wants to see quote his gentleman. Uh, who he adopted because one, he, you know, he felt a lot of gratitude to Pip, understandably. And two, he sort of sees Pip as his own vengeance project against metropolitan society. And so at first Pip is disgusted, uh, but at, and, and in a pretty shitty way, I, I think. Oh my God. It's like all those nineties makeover movies. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Where they find, and it's the part where they find out it yes, wasn't bad. Yeah, 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 right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, at, at the end of this very, or, you know, through the course of this kind of long and complicated third volume, uh, he does sort of come to have a lot of sympathy for Magwitch. Um, you know, Pip tries to get him out of the country, which fails because Magwitch is, uh, sorry, this is getting really convoluted, but this is Dickens. He's being hunted down by this guy named Compison, who holy shit, this was the dude that left Miss Havisham at the altar. And it turns out like Compison and Magwitch, like way back in the day, they were like kind of partners in crime together. And like the whole Miss Havisham proposal plot was like Compison was running like a con on her and Magwitch knows all about it. Um, and they, they had a falling out and that's why Compison basically wants him dead. So uh, he Magwitch gets, gets recaptured. Uh, he dies in prison with Pip by his side. Uh, then Miss Havisham burns herself to death. Uh, Estella marries an asshole. Um, and oh, by the way, turns out she was Magwitch's long lost daughter after all, but you didn't see that coming. <laughs> uh, really no, like that, I, yeah, that part I really do feel is like not is not particularly well developed at all. Pep and the pale young gentleman go into business together. Pale young gentleman. Yeah, LLC. or Herbert, whatever the fuck his name is. Yeah, Herbert. Okay. Uh, pale young gentleman LLC um, in Egypt, I think. I, so a decade passes. We find Pip and Joe have made up. Estella's divorced. Or is her husband dead? I can't remember. Is he divorced or dead? I He's just gone. Uh, but, um, and fuck so Pip meets guy. Estella wholly by chance at Miss Havisham's house. Uh, and then we have this famous ending line. I took her in, hand in mine and we went out of the ruined place. And as the morning mist had risen long ago, when I first left the forge, so the evening mists were rising now. And in all the broad expanse of tranquil light, they showed to me, I saw the shadow of no parting from her. It is melodramatic as all fuck and fuck you, Charles. Yeah, I'm crying. <laughs> A single tear is running. Down uh, indeed. Um, Okay, that uh, that was longer than usual, but it's Dickens. I'm sorry. I'm fucking sorry. I'm going to do it again when we get to Walter Scott, I'm sure. So I will try to keep my notes on context pretty brief so we can get into, you know, like the, the questions we want to talk about. But so a, a couple of things. Um, so one, 
I I did not know this at all until I read um, Robert Douglas Fairhurst's introduction in the in the Oxford edition of Great Expectations. Basically, uh, yeah, uh, Dickens wrote this in the middle of or just following a very nasty separation from his wife, where among other things, he tried to get her institutionalized because he was sort of like having an affair, like pretty pretty shitty pretty shitty and and you know so like he he has this messy separation he recruits two of his sons to help him burn all of his correspondence with his former wife fuck is this the basically yeah it's like dude is in the middle of a full bore like mid uh, midlife crisis meltdown when he writes this like and and he was also he's really famous too like this is well after i mean this this, you know this kind of dick into the height of his fame so he has this very public separation from his wife and yeah it goes goes a little bit bonkers um and and yeah uh, you know Douglas Fairhurst offers some pretty interesting biographical framing that that I I do think helps us to see why this book is so obsessed with like the return of the past and unintended consequences of personal actions. Um, it is a really guilty book, like deeply fucking guilty. Um, and, and that is interesting to think about if you're into Dickens as a literary figure or more in the personal psychology aspects of the novel. Of course, as a as a as a doctrinaire shouting Marxist, uh, I really don't give a fuck about any of that. <laughs> but, <laughs> not not. not. <laughs> I, I do think it's interesting. Um, but the part that is like most interesting to me does have to do with like Australia and the colony um, and, and like the 19th century carceral system more broadly. So Australia and, and New South Wales specifically gets established as a penal colony in the 1780s uh, to kind of replace the former penal colonies that Britain had had in North America before the, the revolution. Those developed because in the 18th century, basically like you could get hanged for anything like that, the, 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 like anything. It, the, so the so what basically what happened is like the emergent bourgeoisie as a way of like you know kind of solidifying their their newfound property rights they they passed this thing called the Black Act of 1723 that made hanging offenses of like literally hundreds of crimes like poaching like if you accidentally like broke a dude's stick and it wasn't your stick that like you could get hanged so they're 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 just hanging uh. people left and fucking right and at some point they're like. Uh, can we just like send some of them over to the colonies <laughs> rather than hanging them? Yeah. Let's rethink this whole exactly. hanging thing. Um, Maybe they could be hanging out <laughs> in, in Australia. Australia. And if they're hanging out in Australia, we can also use them as kind of captive labor. That So it, it's, a you know, it, it's, it, it, it is sort of like yet another of the kind of shitty layers of imperial exploitation. Um, and and by the 1860s, there were like 160,000 convicts who had been transported to Australia. So it's like it's like a massive number of people. So yeah, there's this big specter of the like the carceral and and the imperial hanging over the entire novel. Um, and and I'm not entirely quite sure what to do with that. Um, I do think that Mag, which is a sympathetic character by the end, but I'm also really not sure what he represents uh, or is supposed to represent for Dickens. Um, and how far Dickens wants us to take what he represents, uh, like in terms of structures of empire. Um, you know, or like basically where how Dickens wants us to think about that problem. Um, so that yeah, that that's kind of what I'm I'm thinking about. Um, okay. So, uh, I know like Katie, we, we, we briefly talked about making this a two-parter cause there's just so much there. Um, but I think we, we actually already have a, a, a two-parter on Moby Dick plan for you guys this season. So we, we, we think we'll just try to keep this to our, our standard, our standard length. Um, but my, my concern was that I wouldn't have any other way to make ham-fisted dick jokes, but now I know that we're reading Moby Dick. That's not a concern for me anymore. Yes. So I'm fine yep. with keeping um, it. Yes, uh, Moby Dick, uh, a whale named Dick, right? Like, yeah, there's a lot you can do there. <laughs> but, 
uh, well, uh, I'm not letting any of that slip. <laughs> I didn't think that you. I didn't no think that spoilers. you would. And I'll shut up because I really do not want to uh, intrude onto your onto your turf. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, please intrude onto my turf. Um, I feel like a lonely pervert here. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah. So all right. So uh, well, like yeah, we'll, we'll talk about Australia. I know. Um, you know, as that I as I just kind of gave us a little bit of um, a synopsis of, um, but I think, uh, yeah, like, as I said, like Miss Havisham, I think is probably the most famous character from this novel, like probably even more famous than Pip, I would think. And mm-hmm. it is that whole bit with her is super weird. Uh, it's the whole thing. Estella relationship is super weird. So maybe like, yeah, should, like, do you want to just start with that? Like what, what that big sort of like almost kind of like false lead in terms of like, who's actually like in, influencing Pip's life turns out to be, um, yeah. What, what the fuck do we think about that? So Miss Havisham, I think is pretty much like, just a classic spinster yes. character, but times yes. infinity. And like also haunted house, mm-hmm. spooky, spooky, Grey Gardens time. I think 20 years into the future of many of the real housewives. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. That's, yeah, that's exactly right. And, and I tell you what, so sort of to, can I, like the, the descriptions of her are so sort of like over the top, but I also think like, like super spooky and kind of, um, they're just cool. Uh, could we, could, could I, uh, yes, so maybe yes. let, let me just read the first, the first, um, uh, the first time she, we're, she, we're introduced to her. And this is, this is chapter eight of volume one. So, okay. So Pip comes into this very dark room, uh, with, uh, and she's kind of sitting at a dressing table and she's just wearing one, one shoe. She was dressed in rich materials, satins and lace and silks, all of white. Her shoes were white and she had long, a long white veil dependent from her hair and she had bridal flowers in her hair, but her hair was white. Some bright jewels sparkled on her neck and on her hands, and some other jewels lay sparkling on the table. Dresses less splendid than the dress she wore and half-packed trunks were scattered about. She had not quite finished dressing, for she had but one shoe on. The other was on the table near her hand. Her veil was but half arranged. Her watch and chain were not put on, and some lace for her bosom lay with the, with those trinkets, and with her handkerchief and gloves and some flowers and a prayer book, all confusedly heaped about the looking glass. It was not in the first moments that I saw all these things, though I saw more of them in the first moments than might be supposed. But I saw that everything within my view, which ought to be white, had been white long ago and had lost its luster and was faded and yellow. I saw that the bride within the bridal dress had withered like the dress and that like the flowers and had no brightness left but the brightness of her sunken eyes. I saw that the dress had been put upon the rounded figure of a young woman and that the figure upon which it now hung loose had shrunk to a skin and bone. Once I had been taken to see some ghastly waxwork at the fair, representing I know not what impossible personage line in state. Once I had been taken to one of our old Mars churches to see a skeleton in the ashes of a rich dress that had been dug out of a vault under the church pavement. Now, waxwork and skeleton seemed to have dark eyes that moved and looked at me. I should have cried out if I could. Who is it? said the lady at the table. Pip, ma'am. <laughs> Pip? <laughs> Mr. Pumblechook's boy, ma'am. Come to play. Come near. Let me look at you. Come close. It was when I stood before, avoiding her eyes, that I took note of the surrounding objects in detail and saw that her watch had stopped at 20 minutes to nine and that a clock in the room had stopped at 20 minutes to nine. Look at me, said Miss Havisham. You are not afraid of a woman who has never seen the sun since you were born. I regret to state that I was not afraid of telling the enormous lie. Comprehended the answer. No. Do you suppose that what I touch here, she said, laid her hands one upon the other on her left side. Yes, ma'am. 
it made me think of the young man. What do I touch? Your heart broken. <laughs> so <laughs> Okay, and after that she goes like yes. play. Yes, play, play, lad. In this dusty room. Play. play. And now my, my, my daughter a person shall nag you for my for my amusement. <laughs> <laughs> She's wearing a fedora. Yeah, you can't yeah. miss her. Fuck. Yeah. So I mean, you like. I, I think you put it exactly right. Right. That like she is the classic figure of the literary spinster times twenty. And like, yeah. I mean, there's there's obviously like a lot of kind of like historic misogynist tropes there about age and being a woman and like desirability and basically like you know all, all kinds of shitty stuff. And also just like the intense investment with like whether or not like you're married. Uh, we're not. And I mean, I, so all of that, all of that is present. Absolutely. But I mean, is it like, is that all there is to the story of Miss Havish? Or, I mean, like, do we, is she, do we read her like more sympathetically than, than we think is typical of how those, uh, that kind of character is depicted or just, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, what the, what the fuck do we think? <laughs> I think that to me, she is, um, Oh, I don't, I don't know if this is like a thing that people say or whatever, but this is a thing that my therapist said to me one time, which is like, oh, well, what you have to realize is that old ladies are just young ladies who got old. So like by that, I mean, what you see in, in, uh, Miss Havisham, I think is the relation between her and Mm -hmm. Estella and that that is like that's the real important thing because she's doing and i don't mean to dismiss her as a character and say like because uh, that's like often a problem you know like just dismissing yeah. an old person yeah and just saying like whatever but but i'll say that um in her case because she's all the shit you read it's like like how many times did you read the word white and she has like the clock stopped she has like one shoe on so she looks like bad enough she says like i haven't seen the sun since you were born she's doing like she's doing it all like to a t and and because of that it's difficult to it's it's more i think for me productive to think about her in in the sense of like well what effect does she produce and where does that come from so like the stuff you're saying about so so i think i'm just i think basically you said everything Mm -hmm. significant you know um but i think that this is maybe like an illustration of of that there is definitely like sort of a, a performativity to like her sort of like kind of like social and gendered position, right? I mean, like she she basically takes the like, yeah, like the the trauma of being left at the aisle and and just and just like the the anxiety of being like left as like a, a spinster and just like yeah, she just takes it to like the the nth degree that she that she possibly could. Um, but but well, because it's like it's not a it's not yeah. a person because a person would never be like, what yeah. if it was a book? No, How totally, would I do it? totally. But okay, but the thing too. So yeah, I mean, like there there is one there's one way. Like again, you know, I think like uh, like there there's a lot of and I don't want to say like that there's a way to not read Estella also as like there's a, a misogyny running through how she's characterized. But I do think that like, so, okay. So one way that like Estella is like educated as, as I kind of said in my synopsis, like, Oh, like she's Miss Havisham's kind of vengeance project. And I think that's the, I mean, I think that implication is clearly there, but I also think that Miss Havisham is trying to raise her 
to have like an affective position towards the world that will shield Estella from the from basically what happened to Miss Havisham, right? Like Miss Havisham is sort of like raised and and kind of educated as a woman to invest like so much of her identity in marriageability and desirability. And she's trying to educate Estella in very much like an an opposite way, where like she just like though like basically Estella like she doesn't want Estella to find herself in a position where like it would even be possible for like her her future to be foreclosed in the same way that it was for her. And I gotta say, like there's there's kind of like some like like Mary Wollstonecraftian implications in that, right? Like I mean, Wollstonecraft's whole like you know argument about like uh, the kind of like subjected position of women had to do with education and sort of like uh, the, the kinds of feelings that women were like, not like inherently predisposed to have, but like were educated and encouraged to have about themselves and about the world. Miss Havisham's sort of, I, I don't know, like, yeah, I mean, is that crazy to think that there's like, there's a way in which like Mary Wollstonecraft would be like, I, I sort of see what she's kind of doing here. No, totally. Like, I think, I think everything you said is like, is right on, you know, like that's, so that's what's so interesting about this is that like, yeah, it's like the pathos of the whole thing comes from the fact that like, she's doing like an education, Mm -hmm. maybe she's doing a progressive education project because she was so Mm -hmm. deeply hurt. The thing, the thing about that, that's so fascinating is like, of course that doesn't work. Because if that were the case, everyone who got hurt would do that and we wouldn't have right. what we have. It's like it's impossible to to hang on to it in that way. And so it's like that's why it only comes out yes. in the gossip. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, no, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, she she is a very – like like the Miss Havisham episodes are like the gothic very much in the center of, of this of this novel. Like so, her yeah, her 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 sort of like education plan for Estella doesn't work in a couple of ways. One, like Estella ends up marrying this deeply shitty dude. Like, I mean, the whole point of like Miss Havisham's education of her is like that Estella is going to retain her sort of like independence and kind of agency and not be sort of just prey to like you know what man finds her desirable or not. And of course, like the choice she makes of a husband, which she sort of seems to do for kind of very like mercenary reasons, like yeah, whatever, he's like rich and fine, and I don't you know I don't actually care. But it does. It, it actually it, that actually doesn't work for her, you know. Um, like it's it's a it's a very unhappy marriage. Um, I think for a lot of the novel, like the implication is either like losing her sort of like losing her feminine like like typed as feminine like sympathetic capacity that she like she's no longer a, a person who can like feel sympathy and empathy and like that's where the cruelty towards Pip comes out. But we see like in the end when she like. Basically, she recognizes that Pip is in love with Estella and sees like how badly he's hurt. Like she like there there's this moment of real remorse on her part. Like if her whole like, you know, inhabiting this kind of performative like spinster position, part of it was to try to like build a wall between herself and her own emotions, like uh, or, or to like stop being like kind of a, a character that can sympathize like that. That also that that doesn't work. Like there's a there's a core of like like sort of humanity. And I think, you know, typed as feminine sort of emotional capacity that that remains as part of her yes it's it does remain as part of her and that's the part that makes it tragic that because she was educated uh, and uh and molded in to be a spinster but also to get married and so she doesn't inhabit and so she can't inhabit any of the forms uh because she doesn't have the feelings 
so so there's like a lot there's a lot mm-hmm. going on there. It's like, well, what was the grand plan of Miss mm-hmm. Havisham then? Yeah. Like how how was yeah. that gonna work? Yeah, right. I guess we see what she intended with those kind of initial scenes with Pip and Estella. And yeah, what, what does that like? What, what's happening? So Pip like almost immediately is like in love with Estella. Um, even though like, it's, I mean, Estella basically, it's not until very late in the novel that she even, it even there's indication that she even like kind of thinks of Pip and sort of like, you know, well, that she has any affection towards her or that she thinks of him as, as like a friend or anything like that. Um, she basically, yeah, she just nags and she's like, yeah, you're poor. Like, you know, you're, 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 a, you're a blacksmith <laughs> kid. Like, you know, which Pip is like super into. Yeah. Anyway, what, like, yeah, what are, yeah, he, he does loves love it. Because um, he's like, right. yeah, I'm better. Yeah. He's like, oh, I, I'm, I, she thinks I'm this, but right. actually I, what I should yes, say was right, I can right, right, be right. better. The, yeah. He's like, she she doesn't know that I yeah. actually I can yeah that he yes exactly um but it is yeah <laughs> I mean I'm not joking when I said that it does set itself up as this kind of like dom subby stuff but which which has like an like just just this this extremely like gross valence to it because it's like orchestrated by Miss Havisham and their fucking children when it starts you know but like. But but then that it right. also like character seems to come to come to characterize their adult relationship with each other too, right? Like Yeah, I think like that's part of it, isn't it? That that in fact when you well, I don't know. Maybe it's like carving yeah. in a groove, like Miss Havisham is doing. You know, when you the way you interact with people, I mean like when when people interact with their parents or somebody who raised them. A lot of times they say like, nah, I yeah. didn't want that, even if they're, you know, yeah. 45. It's, it's, you get no, habituated. No, you do. And, 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 uh, you know, like also that, 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 uh, you know, that, um, in a very kind of like sort of anticipating Freud way, right? Like that the 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 sort of like erotic um, imagination of a, of adulthood, like th- those those grooves have a very kind of deep like connection to sort of like uh, like childhood struggle. I mean, you know, like Freud and many many other psychologists have have said this to to yeah to either you know either childhood trauma or like or or just like structures of childhood, right? So like uh, that 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 yeah, like I mean, there's there's almost something like psychologically um forward thinking in sort of like yeah like wanting to like trace through like that that kind of relationship or just like pip pip and i get in stella too's like they're yeah they're adult like kind of romantic and erotic imagination like sort of like see its origin points in like this weird childhood structure if that makes sense yeah, speaking of so that's really interesting. So you can see yeah. its origin points. So like this is a novel that's all about like mm-hmm. mysterious origins. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole like that yeah, so that's the whole thing is like, yeah, it works it yeah. works like in every way. Pip doesn't know his benefactor, he doesn't know his parents, um, he, you know, he doesn't know like it's it's all about what he doesn't yeah. know and can't know. Yeah. And yeah, I yeah, this novel's really weird on education, and I didn't. No, think I, I about didn't. It. I'm I'm only kind of starting to think about it as we're talking through it. But I, it, yeah, it is, 
and, and, and yeah. And like, I think, yeah, but you're right. Like the sort of like contingency and sort of unseen forces thing that color our, our adult, like kind of psychic life, but also just our adult lives generally, you know, on, in a, like Pip and Estella are like, not at all, like kind of suited for each other, like not socioeconomically, uh, like, you know, not, not in a lot, well, not in, you know, that there doesn't seem, I mean, the, the attraction only seems to ever like flow one way, but like that it's, you know, because of like this giant sort of drama that they are un, I, they're unwittingly or unintentionally in the center of like, yeah, they're, they're, they're two people that should not be like matched with each other, but because of like the circumstances around them, there's like no other possible out romantic outcome for either of them. If that makes, you know, no, right. Because they're both. Yeah. Because they're both someone's yes, yeah. experiment. Estella is yeah. this Havisham's experiment and Pitt is yeah, the yeah, exactly. experiment. Exactly. And Matt, yeah, and I'm glad I'm glad you brought a Mag, which I, I do want to get to the Australia stuff, and this might be a good time to turn to it. But uh, but I, I think I think Mag, which like even though his class position is very different from Miss Havisham's, like his education, every, everything like that, um, I do think that he's like he's sort of like the novel's like masculine uh, counterpart to Miss Havisham, like like she, he's he is also kind of a marginalized figure. He's he's a he's a figure that has um, a, a sort of a power that society broadly would. Not want him to have like society was not you know cool with a you know like in Miss Havisham's case you know Victorian society is not cool with like a like a financially independent woman certainly not one who is like reclused herself from 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 the world right um, and it certainly is not cool with a convict who has all this kind of economic but you know right. what I mean so like they I do think I do think that like Magwitch and Miss Havisham like they are they are counterpart they're like kind of they're sort of like counterparts like of their respective genders if that makes sense. I think they very much are because they both are the the lonely figures who have, who are, who are financing Mm -hmm. a person. And so, so that's the, the Mm -hmm. clear mirroring part. Um, They, they each have, you know, this kid that they want to experiment on and sort of see what happens. And then, but, but we also have like, so that's one kind of way of like investing Mm -hmm. your money. Yeah. And and the other ways, like Polly Pocket or whatever the fuck, like Pip's business partner, mm-hmm. dude, he is like early in the novel speculating about imaginary yachts yeah. he's gonna buy. Yeah, 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 right. Because he's just like, well, capital. The way capitalism works is you do yeah. you buy low and yeah. sell high. Yeah. Yeah. Money. Yeah, right. And and also like that, you know, um capital itself is like a like a new I mean st- I mean it's not new. Like some people who have a very, a very reductive take on it. I think like the Victorian era, the industrial revolution is when it's like coming is originating, which is obviously not the case, but it, but it is still like, it, it's, it's starting to reshape society in ways that I think are quite new. And, and I think one thing there, like, yeah, you invest it, you know, see what happens. And yeah, maybe it co- completely changes your life that that like, that is just a capacity to under uh, like undercut certain social structures and certain like kind of class strata in a way that's like both, I think in a novel's terms, both like really, appealing but also extremely unpredictable and unsettling as well yeah yeah in a way it feels like the perfect novel to talk about that this like Mm -hmm. big picture stuff with even though it feels like a sentimental family domestic novel because it's very much like what do we do it's all about 
what happens when we put somebody yeah. out in the world. Yeah, right. And I do, you know, I think another big thing as, as we sort of handed upon is, is like, is childhood, right? And like, yeah, what, what kind of education does someone get? Um, but also like, I mean, you know, I think Pip and, and Estella uh, are, are, but you know, they're both from like, I mean, dis- dissimilarly, but also, you know, at, at the same time for both of them, oppressive childhoods. I mean, I, Estella lives in like a decaying Gothic mansion with, with this, you know, with it, with, a, with the, yeah, <laughs> this person who's just completely withdrawn herself from society. Uh, Pip, you know, like Joe's nice. Pip's sister is abusive. I mean, she like chases him around with a cane that she calls the tickler, like just beats him constantly. All of his, all of his, uh, his, his, his siblings and parents are dead. He goes around town being like the fun way I say my sister whacks me all around is like, she yeah, raises yeah, yeah, me yeah, by raised, hand. Yeah, raised by hand. Oh, which by the way, I don't, did you, uh, did you look into like the meaning of that? I had no idea. Like, and I think it just, it just, it does, uh, it does indicate like, yeah, she, she beat him. I mean, I think that's, that's part of it, but also yeah. raising by hand was, um, referred to an infant who like, whose parents were either dead or there was, there was no, there was no like, you know, mal- breast milk for whatever, you know, malnutrition or what have you. Um, and so like they raised the baby with like bits of bread and water instead, which like small, Small infants so can't digest that. And, and they're like, the you know, it's like the mortality rate was quite high. It's like, yeah, no shit, you know, but like, but, but so, yeah. right. So like, yeah. so, but even from like early infancy, that being raised by hand thing is the, like everything that could go wrong for how you like suit a child to the world did for Pip. Um, and so like the whole like gentleman fantasy, like part of it, he rebelled, you know, that that's it. That's his very kind of like sort of gug ho, like kind of capitalist, like ethos, right? It's like, yeah, but you know, my childhood fucking sucked. And you know what? Fuck these people i'm gonna be a rich fancy lad is what i'm gonna do you know (laughs) yes he decides yes he decides he wants to be a rich fancy lad but like before he decides he wants to be a rich fancy lad he hasn't decided shit about he hasn't um and 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 even like they're like what yeah no he hasn't um it turns out that the big force on Pip's life is, I mean, Miss Havisham, certainly, but also Magwitch. Um, and Magwitch is the unseen one because it's only at like the end of volume two, beginning of volume three, that we know that, like, that, that, oh, yeah, that convict from the first few chapters who had seemed like important. Um, yeah, actually, super important. But, but so he comes back at the end of volume two, like, in like kind of a dark and stormy night. And Pip's like, ah, oh my God, how do I get rid of this guy? Um, and then at the, vo- the beginning of volume three, he's telling him, he's telling him a little bit about his life and Pip is totally super freaked out. Like he, he locks Magwitch up in like the bedroom overnight. Cause he's so like freaked out by him. And yeah, like, Ma- like Magwitch and also like, there's a way, there's definitely a way to read Magwitch's return as an act of like deep love towards Pip because he does like a return transport, like was under a death sentence. Like if he's caught, he will die, but he just can't. And, 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 you know, he seems to have been doing pretty well in Australia with, you know, the kangaroos and whatnot, and like <laughs> making lots of money. So like he, you know, he could have just hung out in new South Wales, but he's got to come back. Um, and so, and so he's telling Pip kind of his life story. Yeah. And this is uh okay. Yeah. So this is, this is the very end of volume two. Um, and Pip says very melodramatically to himself, oh, that he had never come, that he had left me at the forge far from contented yet by comparison happy. And then Magwitch says, and then, dear boy, it was a recompense to me, looky here, to know in secret that I was making a gentleman. The blood horses of them colonists might fling up the dust over me as I was walking. What do I say? I says to myself, I'm making a better, better gentleman, nor, nor ever you'll be. When one of them says to another, he was a convict a few years ago and is an ignorant common fellow now for all he's lucky. 
What do I say? I says to myself, if I ain't a gentleman, nor yet ain't got no learning, I'm the owner of such. All on you owns stock and land, which on you owns a brought up London gentleman. This way I kept myself going. Um, and this way I held steady afore my mind that I would for certain come one day and see my boy and make myself known to him on his own ground. Um, to yeah. make a gentleman. To make yeah. a gentleman. It's a cookbook. <laughs> it is. It is a cookbook. Throw in the right ingredients, you know, season in Australia and it'll come back, you know. But uh, I just have like such kind of conflicting thoughts about that right like on the one hand like to make a gentleman i mean there's like something like delightfully subversive about that because remember like and i think this you know for 21st century readers and definitely for like american readers who have never like you know we've we've never really had an aristocracy in the kind of like old sense of the word that idea that like oh well yeah you make enough money and your class position changes that kind of seems like well that's just that just is capital but like in Britain, like, no, no, it's like, and even today, I mean, you, like a lot of, a lot of, <laughs> I've heard a lot of British people make this observation that it's like, you know, it, it, it's still like, what's your accent? What schools did you go to? Right. So, but the, but Magwitch's confidence that like he can, yeah, I have the, I have the formula. I can just make this happen. Um, that is like kind of subversive in a way, even if it's like deeply into like the logic of capital, but it's still, but, but it's kind of re- re- also resisting sort of capital and uh, on its own terms, if that makes sense. I mean, it's, ha- it's it is. It is hell, and, and that's the other thing, though, right? It's it, it is it is it is troubling, like Frankenstein, and that like it denies sort of any agency to like you know the the per- the person in question here. Um, and but it's also like kind of tragic, right? That like Mag for for, for Magwitch, it's like okay, like you know what? I'm I'll do this. I'm gonna make you know I'm gonna make Pip a gentleman, and that's my vengeance on these assholes. Like that that'll show them. And like it, no, it really you know what I mean? It, it's just it's like. He he thinks it has such power, and in a way, it does have a lot of power, but not not in any kind of way that's really going to like do much for Magwitch. If that makes sense, no, it's going to do. No- but it's also like it's the the worst part about it is that it's like walking down the street and saying like all these gentlemen are fucking assholes who are like who have their boot on my face. You know how I'll get them back? I'll yeah, make exactly. another of them. I'll make there exactly. be more of them. And, right. And so his claim is that he's getting sort of like power or some sort of like kind of like come comeuppance over them by virtue of having this power to reproduce. But like the power is just, yeah, you're right. The power is just to like reproduce their own like kind of class position. Um so what do you think the novel wants us to do with that? Um, like I, I do think by the end of it magwitch is is pretty sympathetic and i also and i you know i mean i i don't i don't think i'm that far off of like how dickens wants us to read it when like i'm like in in those early scenes when pip's like oh my god i gotta get rid of him like i'm like dude you're a fucking asshole and and i kind of think the novel also wants us to think that you know yeah yeah no i guess i guess the thing that i want to know is exactly what is a gentleman and right is pip one by the end that's a great question. Um, by by any kind of like sort of like like pre modern or like early modern definition, uh, no, right? I mean, he like how? I mean, he still you know he he uh, 
he's got nicer clothes. He's like got a he's got a fancier accent, but that like gentlemanliness like carries with it such um uh well just sort of like such kind of like a fantasy of like deep history of bloodline and all that kind of stuff. Now, uh, but we're no longer in that world, right? Like, I mean, the industrial revolution is fully happening, like kind of the, the bourgeoisie, um, you know, even in a society like that did have an old aristocracy like Britain, they're, they're supplanting them. But like, even by the, even like kind of very like bourgeois terms, I don't think, I mean, Pip's still so, I mean, like he, yeah, okay. He, he had, he's, um, you know, he, he's got this London apartment, um, but like his just his social position always just feels so kind of precarious to me that like uh, I don't know. But but I but you know what I though I think that then that goes back to what the fuck the word gentleman even means. And part of what might be being pointed out there is like it doesn't mean a whole lot. It means a lot of like fantasy bullshit that doesn't actually have like you know a material existence in the world. Yeah. No, I think that I think that's true. I think it is like a fantasy. And I think I think also like so Pip. So Pip yes. is tainted yes. by Magwitch. And, and before he knows that that's what's going on, he makes all sorts of assumptions about who the benefactor is. But right. he doesn't know. Some might say his <laughs> expectations. But having a mysterious benefactor these days or any days is always going to sort of prevent you from being like a real gentleman even if we just go with the like super uh you know colloquial meaning of the term right like gentlemen because it's something about gentlemen are benefactors not you're right like not vice versa right like it's yeah like a because because part because part of what a gentleman part of like what the stability inherent in a gentleman I think by this logic would be would be some sort of like independence from kind of like yeah just, just like kind of it, it, or a sort of like independent agency that's a little, like it's not independent it's actually like deeply um, imbricated in your wealth and its stability but but Pip like never has that one he doesn't even know where like he doesn't even know where his like wealth is coming from he doesn't have control over it for most of the narrative once Mag which is recaptured and has discovered he loses kind of like all of it and then he has to and then then, well i mean so like i i guess like the most kind of stable like class class position he arrives at it this is deeply lib and grossly capitalist is when he goes off with herbert to you know egypt and makes all that money on his own you know what i mean like yeah that that well that's all he could like he doesn't he doesn't know shit about shit you know like doesn't know anything about what his parents look like he doesn't know who's his benefactor he doesn't know Mm -hmm. he doesn't know shit about shit he doesn't know how to do anything. He knows nothing. And that's his whole, like, that's his whole deal. But I think what the novel wants you to think is that, okay, so so this is sort of important. The sister, when she gets beaten up, gets brain damage in a way that that she then is an agreeable a per- mm-hmm. person and not yeah. abusive anymore. And her cognitive capabilities are compromised, but she still sort of, like, you know, walks around and lives with Joe. And I think what the novel wants you to think is that if Pip were to have stayed with Joe, that he might have apprenticed under him and become something that's more like a gentleman that Dickens wants you to think about a gentleman. As in, like, you have – because there's, like, a whole – they make a whole thing – like, Joe makes a whole thing about, like, he's having this weird conversation with Miss Havisham and he'll only talk to Pip and he's, like, the reason why has something to do with, like, 
fucking yeah. honor over yeah, manners. No, you're right. God, I'm, I'm such a fucking like uh, Marxist reader that I like. You're saying that, like, yeah, the colloquial meaning of gentleman to be like someone who acts right, you know, like that. That's just like so far from how I ever want to think about it when it's only, you know, but, but I think, <laughs> yes, I think you're right. And then also, like, okay, I don't know. Like, so what are the class politics of that? I don't know. I kind of hate them, but I also like eh, that, that, like, yeah, if you, if you just stayed in your place, but, but, you know, you were, you were, you learned to be a good person that that would like, so in one sense, it's, it's like rejecting like kind of like the fantasy of class ascendancy in a way that I'm kind of down with. But at the same time, like, that's just like, so never like a spot, you know, so basically never have aspirations outside of your own sort of like the material circumstances under which you find yourself. And, you know, it's like, it's lib is what it is. It's very, very lib. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, no, totally. That's totally like, like, well, you know, you know, I, I do think we should make sure people aren't poor, but you know, it makes them <laughs> yes, such no, good people. Exactly. And, and right. And like, yeah, and, and this, is, this is why I love Dickens and find it simultaneously really frustrating. There is a really strong critique inherent here in like the carceral system of the 19th century and transportation and like the way the colony is used in this specific like kind of aspect of its of, of, of colonial brutality. However, ultimately the story is just about like individuals who at the end of a long process learn how to feel right about the world, you know, and it's just like, dude, oh, you're so close. You are so fucking close. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like barely even feel right about the world. It's like it's like yeah, feel yes, exactly. It's like you know, you know what? Yes, it's we learned that people are complicated, and therefore, like and that that makes us feel smart. It's again, yeah. like I don't want to shit on it too much because I do think it. Like I do really enjoy this book, and I think it's a really like moving book in a lot of ways. But uh, it's like, as I said, I listen, my, my frustration with Dickens is always like, I feel like he is so fucking close, but just incapable of like taking the next step to any sort of like meaningful, like kind of structural analysis or like structural critique. Um, no, I think, yeah, to me, at least like I have to do the goldfish thing when I'm when I'm reading Dickens, just like kind of forget <laughs> yeah. what I just read. And yeah. like, just go with it and like, just be like, that's funny. His name is Mr. Yeah, Poppin yeah, yeah. you know, just like. Because it's not anything to, it's so it's so clumsy, but great. But I love and I love it. I well, yeah, I genuinely and and, and love I will it. say and to, to sort of I, I know we need to get to our final question soon. Um, but I did like you know we we sort of teased at the opening a little bit like oh great expectations isn't that funny? But I do think that like there like one of the ways that this book is really kind of powerful to me does have to do with that. Like, yeah, that like contingencies around individual possibility and like the, the illegibility and unknowability of the many circumstances that are, uh, and forces that are coming to bear on, on individual life, um, which also makes very problematic the understanding of the individual as like this kind of contained and like supremely sovereign thing. It's just it, like it's a novel that does it that that really wants to like put a lot of critical pressure on on that as a possibility. Um, oh, and the the expectations thing, right? Like so one so what what uh, a contemporary like so expectations. Um, something we were talking about before the show started a little bit that expectations. Um, it's not like a, a, a an uncomplicated or like good word in like the 19th century. Like to have expectations kind of means like you, you want you want something sort of in excess of what could logically or conceivably you have like a claim to. If that makes sense, it's like 
Yes. It suggests both entitlement yes, exactly, and precarity. Right. So it's, yeah. So like expectations are sort of expectations meant to be like foiled, if that makes sense. Yes. Yes. The, the thing that's so interesting about it to me is that like, so you have that, you have that kind of muddy thing going on about mm-hmm. what you expect to happen. And, but then also on, on a large enough scale, actually, you can have ex- expectations. I think it'd be very accurate. I think there is stuff in this novel about mm-hmm. like risk and insurance. And that, yeah. is, that works. Like insurance works because doing that predictive stuff yeah. actually works. Like you expect X number. I mean, I know it doesn't always, I know it doesn't always work, but it sometimes maybe yeah it no it did. I and, and, I, and we, we didn't re- we haven't really talked about him at all but the the character uh who i love uh mr jaggers the lawyer like he like he's all about sort of managing contingencies and managing uh well managing expectations right but like so there's this there's this great scene when you first meet him uh, or not when you first meet him because you first meet him at Havisham's house but like when Pip goes to London to see him when he goes into his office and basically all like all of the like the defendants he's representing are like are you know like there, there's this one guy he's like oh look I found a witness at Jaggers is like let me see him and the witness is completely drunk he's like what the fuck is your problem go find me a better witness <laughs> you know like like um, he, and, but you know and, and, and like oh he, t- he tells Pip that basically like look if i was running any of this there i would not i would have told your benefactor not to like try to adopt you or like you know but but like but but like you know jagger because and jaggers is becoming like extremely wealthy off of his profession um but his profession is all about okay so like what risks can you manage like what uh like you know as a lawyer in court like coming up with a plausible narrative that will get a that will get like one of his defendants that will be successful for one of his defendants but it can't be too outlet you know what i mean like it's it it, it's like it's learning how to kind of read a range of possibilities under which like the individual can operate um and then deploying that like in a financially efficacious way yeah and he's also very careful so this is what's interesting about him too is that that he's executing something on behalf of someone else financially he is but he has an opinion about it which is he doesn't like it and the the fact that he doesn't like it causes him to lean on the fact that it's all business don't he says to pip don't say thank you i'm doing this because I'm being paid to do it. And that tells you how he feels about it. Yeah, while right. Saying it's not. Yeah, which does cleave. And again, and he and he has a his clerk Wemmick, like in a very me in a very oh. like clear way. Like Wemmick has this like lovely life in the in the suburbs where he's built like this little like like a cat like <laughs> your home is your castle, like a little like miniature castle for himself. And like he just he's just he's like this delightful, eccentric weirdo. But then in London, he's lives an all business kind of character. So he, like that that like cleaving like it to like the the sort of like logic of business and finance from like um uh yeah like that it's just anything more like uh you know you're you're like feeling as a person um but no it like there there is this one great say that we'll we'll wrap we'll wrap up in just a minute but um when uh when pip goes to jagger's office he's like uh magwitch is here like what the fuck and uh he's like he's like i so he's basically like yeah magwitch told me all about it and uh mr jagger's nodded Uh, but did you say told or informed? He asked me with his head on one side and not looking at me, but in a lis- uh, looking in a listening way at the floor. Told would seem to imply verbal communication. You can't have verbal communication with a man in New South Wales, you know. 
I right. So he's like, and then like every other, because basically Jagger's like, he's in some kind of legal precarity if he knows Magwitch's return. And he's like, no, what I'm going to understand you to be saying in the situation is that from New South Wales, you were informed of this by this person, you know? So he's just like, but he, he's, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's very, it's playing with the kind of classic sort of lawyer dodge, but it is like commanding and controlling language and how it's deployed as like, you know, some, some way of managing, um, like expectations or you know managing like possibility oh yeah but it's also like like it is very professional like for sure but at the same time it comes off like somebody like it comes off like like a teenager who took their parents car and is like we never i never explicitly started (laughs) the vehicle i had my friend uh, Timothy do it and that was our agreement yeah. I stuck to the letter and just because it's now a French Flintstone <laughs> car you have to move with your feet doesn't mean I didn't abide by my no you're 100% obligation. right it is it is like sort of critical of its uh but yeah I mean it, it is humorous and it's it's uh as such it is sort of like critical of it but I think it's critical of it in the sense of like yeah th- this shit actually works isn't that fucked up and ridiculous you know like but anyway <laughs> right. um Okay, uh, so this was a lot of fun, as always. Um, and to close out uh, our second Dickens novel in as many months, uh, do you, do you, Megan, Megan, so glad she's not here for this. That, uh, do, you, do you want to, uh, do, do you have some final questions for us? Ooh, I have a awesome. quiz for you, Tristan. Um, yeah, I think that um, when... So we've talked about uh, Pip and Estella's relationship um, and, you know, just how Mm -hmm. they're not really right for each other. But Pip expects them to get married. But just like, uh, you know, it doesn't really feel like, you know, like, oh, it doesn't really feel like a match. You know, like, 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 you know, so you go to brunch with your gal pals and say, like, (laughs) I don't know if he's the one. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) Luckily, if you're not sure if he's the one. ChristianMingle.com has devised a quiz. They can tell you. The do, quiz is called Do you is spend much time on Christian Mingle, Katie? <laughs> I, I uh, made an account to get that, this that quiz. Is- that is some, so I'm about that to is some deep dedication because I just have to say of, of the myriad uh, uh, dating websites I did I did not pick Christian Mingle to be the one the one for you. But, uh. <laughs> well, you know I've learned a lot today, and uh, and you're about <laughs> okay, to okay. Let's do it. So so here's what we're gonna do. So imagine again go into your mind palace and become Estella. Okay. And you're trying to decide, like, Pip, uh, mm-hmm. is he the one? Yeah. Okay. You know? Yeah. Maybe, maybe he's the one. Yeah. Maybe yeah. he isn't. <laughs> um, but, I mean, if you want a good son, right? Like, um, I guess that. <laughs> yeah. I should have gone to a cooler <laughs> yeah. website. Ah, uh, why did I do that? That would have been better. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I feel like uh, like uh, like Fat Life or something like that. <laughs> uh. Well, Tristan, we're at many paths can happen in life as Great Expectations teaches yeah, us, and we're fine. on this path. Let's, let's do it. So we're gonna go down it, and uh, so so answer about Pip as if you are Estella, and you're trying to decide. <laughs> Is he the one? 
and and you're pretty and and imagine mm. in your mind that you're pretty religious mm. and your faith is important to you okay i i i got it yeah. i'm i'm okay. i am very religious deeply religious is what all my friends would say about me since all your friends would say this about you you should mm-hmm. you should yep. be ready to answer this question about faith question number 1 yes F- about pip is he Christian? If no, <laughs> skip numbers two to ten to okay, save yourself I got it a now. lot of heartache. Uh, is Pip Christian? Well, yeah. I mean, it's 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 the early nineteenth century. Uh, okay, we're making <laughs> assumptions about people without knowing. But no, I think I think we can. Dickens has that. Dickens has the um. The, oh yeah, the no, Protestant I, no, background. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Okay, number two. If he is a Christian. Does he actively mm. pursue his faith? Church, outreach, prayer, mm. volunteering. Does he actively pursue his faith? Church? No, he just kind of sits around and like whines a lot. Yeah. Yeah, see? Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. I think I think that's a no. I think that's a no. Thank you, Christian Mingle. We're getting the bomb of something. Question number three. Does he keep his word? When he says he's Does going he to do something, he says he's going to do something. Um, no, he doesn't, because he, uh, you know, like he he never goes to see Joe. Uh, he 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 he's he's kind of a shitty friend generally. He does keep his word in that he is going to like just like follow Estella around constantly in an increasingly annoying way. But I think, but I think on the whole, no, yeah. he doesn't keep his word. I think because of the fact that he is both a fake friend and a hater toward Joe, definitely agree. Okay. Is he driven by Jesus as opposed to ego? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know why I just like categorically pronounced him a Christian other than like, well, you know, Dickens, Anglican, but like. <laughs> The way you said it was like, I swear to God, I'd give you all the money in my bank yeah, account right no, now. Well, I, I just, know for yeah, a fact. I mean, I just, Dickens is not one who I I would assume like. <laughs> no, he is. Is right. Well, even that like having a Catholic, does Dickens have any Catholic protagonists? I don't, I, I'm not sure. There are Catholic characters and they're, and, yeah, and they're, yeah. Um, and they're, they're. Yeah. There no. are Jewish characters often very anti-Semitically rendered in Dickens, but. <laughs> Yes, for Dickens, if you yeah. have to ask the question, yeah, it's like yes, then you right. It's, the it's like th- this is a worldview in which, like, the default position is this, like, very kind of like Anglo, like, sta- like you know, standard Anglican sort of outlook. If he were, if, if Pip were Catholic, his name would be like, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. yes, exactly, exactly, <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah, like. Um, okay. Uh, no, so he, no, we but we don't think he's driven by Jesus as opposed to ego. Agree. Does he only have eyes for you and never flirts uh, with others? I mean, with Estella, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's true. Sh- oh, he, he does kind of flirt with, with Betty, but in a really shitty way, mm-hmm. where he's kind of like, I guess if Estella won't bone, then we could maybe hang out sometime. <laughs> like. <laughs> He says like forty five times, like it's too bad that you're such yeah, a sorry, uh, such yeah. a piece of trash. Because yeah. otherwise, because otherwise, no, you know what? This, this cad really nice does flirt with other together. women. 
Yeah, he does. Yeah. And he's a real asshole about it. So that's another mark in the no column. <laughs> Pip's not looking so good. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. he isn't. Ha ha. Number six. Does he have a strong work uh, ethic? No. he. Do- I'm, well, he gets one sort of later, but, you know, it, he's kind of forced into having it. He doesn't want to be a blacksmith. Then he doesn't do anything so far as we know when he's through most of volume two. No, I mean, he works, he works really hard at like being a sad sack for Estella, but that, that's not really work though. Yeah. No, that's, that, that's not work. No, that's he doesn't. Project. No, he doesn't have a strong work ethic. Ugh, I'm disgusted. Does he resent? I'm really taking on the presence of this quiz. Does he resemble a grown up, overgrown frat boy? Hmm. No, I would. Uh, well, he's kind of a he's kind of a fail son a little bit, except that that typically means your parents are more kind of uh, the fail son is headed down the economic scale, right? He he was though the he was though the um he was the Holly Holmes in the Holly Holmes Ronda yeah. Rousey fight that yeah, they that's, staged yeah. in the beginning. Yeah, he. I mean, he. I don't know. Like, I would kind of call him and Herbert Pocket more like. I, they kind of have like a stoner vibe a little bit to like living in a day. But no, I mean, he, there is a, there is a frat. Yeah. There's kind of a, I don't know, maybe a certain kind of frat. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Okay. Sure. We'll say overgrown frat, but he's not yeah. doing, he, I mean, he's yeah. not going to pass. Yeah. Please. Uh, what are we doing here? Uh, nine. Does he show grace under well, pressure? No, you know, he did, he did like put out Miss Havisham on fire with his own hands and got pretty burned in the process. Um, he did, you know, like when he helps Magwitch escape, he cut, he's all right. He, yeah. You know, and, and like, even as a kid, I mean, he does kind of freak out and that's why he helps Magwitch when he's a kid, but he's still, you know, he, he gets some food and doesn't like rat him out. I, I actually think that in this one, yeah, he, he kind of is okay under pressure. Okay, great. Perfect. Um, in question 10, does he show a servant's heart as opposed to being does he, does he show a, does he show a, a what heart? A servant's heart. A servant's heart. To, yeah. I mean, as far as Estella is concerned, absolutely. I mean, that's all he, he only wants to be her her servant. I, I don't I don't know about Jesus, but <laughs> he, he wants to be her <laughs> well, footstool, you know. not her servant. I, I don't know what word I don't know what words they use for whatever game that is that they're playing with each other, but <laughs> I'm tabulating the results in a scientific manner that few people would understand. Oh, hmm. Okay. Uh, weirdly, he, he got five off, so he's in five to eight points. He might be fun to date. No, but he's not marriage material. Have fun, flirt, see what you can learn, but don't be surprised if you fall in love and he breaks your heart because <laughs> you were being a trollop, little missy. So, so, but, but actually, so basically, Christian Mengel says that Estella should do just what she did with Pip. Like, you know, like, yeah. So, all right. So, yeah. Cool. That was delightful. Thank you. <laughs> this has been Better Red Than Dead. Um, you can find Megan on Twitter at Teslersaurus. You can find Katie on Twitter at Katie Crywo. You can find me on Twitter at TJ Schweiger. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Better Red Pod, spelled R-E-A-D. And email us at betterredpodcast at gmail.com. But only if it's to anonymously offer to become our benefactor and give us lots of money. Um, so yes, please send us your Australian print scam email. We will totally give you our credit card number, socials, anything you need. 
Magazine. Send us chain Anything letters too. We like that. The, the old snail mail kind. Well, you know. <laughs> if you don't pass it on, there's our intro music is Lev Bronstein by the Redskins and used with their permission. Our logo was created by Jane Bonsack of JB Design and Content. Please rate and review us and subscribe. Um, you know, we still have stickers and buttons and lots of cool things for reviewers. Um, next week, we're going to be talking about uh, the Sherlock Holmes novel, um, The Pound of the Baskervilles. Um, and then we welcome Megan back to the show for Huckleberry Finn. So thanks, comrades. <laughs>